The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, of course, I, I'm confident, uh, based on the buzz in the room, that many of you had great spring breaks. I did too. I had the uh, opportunity to go with a bunch of you up to Malibu Club, a young life camp in British Columbia for college work week, and we had a great time. Uh, we did our, our share of work, of course. I had the opportunity to take my six-year-old son, Carson, up there, and one of the jobs that was up there, and I wish I would have snapped a picture of the, well, I did snap pictures of it, I just forgot to put it into our show tonight. Uh, one of the jobs was, was having to sift all of the sand on the volleyball court. Any of the volleyball sand sifters in here tonight? Okay, a few of you, good job. <laughs> And, uh, and Carson would, my six-year-old, would, would join up with this crew of, of really amazing women that, that uh, <clears throat> were, were trying to get all of the really actually quite little rocks that were in the volleyball court out of the volleyball court so that it's going to be that much better this summer. Well, Carson would go down and try and help, you know, with, you know, sand's kind of heavy, and, and I don't know exactly what he was doing, so I, I asked him once, I said, hey, you know, what, what do you you know, what are you doing down there? What are you helping out with at the volleyball court? And he's like, well, I'm the supervisor. <laughs> but he wasn't just helping out in the volleyball court. He was helping us out in, in the dining room as well as we would, we would bus tables and then reset them so that the, the whole crew of, of college workers uh, would be fed. And I was just so blessed over the week as college students included Carson in the work that we were doing. And then, and then it was just, it was precious as Carson everywhere we went at Malibu, whether he was working or just going to the thing that was next, he would just skip every place. Okay. And it was just, it was, it was, I found myself praying that that would be the, the type of experience that we would all have at spring break, that it would be something that would just somehow uh, make us skip. Uh, so much of what happens at Malibu is awesome. Many of you have had very formative experiences there. The gospel is proclaimed. It's a place where great friendships and fellowship has formed. And no doubt, one of the important things there is, is Car- and I was aware of this as Carson and I worked with the crew in the dining room, is the fellowship that happens around tables. Now, I am convinced that, and I have a picture of this, that this is one of the great dining rooms in the world, okay? I, bu- I, I really believe that, okay? The, to, the opportunity to be able to look at one side and see these snow-capped mountains, these dynamic rapids that are, that are directly to the south, and then to be able to look out and see saltwater and orca whales jumping and a bald eagle that'll come and land on the back of the whale, and they'll give a bear a high five as they're going by, okay? <laughs> now, okay, that, that's, I, I made that up, but... We did see orcas and we did see eagles. It's really uh, an, uh, an amazing place. But the fellowship that can happen around those tables, there's Carson doing some homework during the week, by the way. The, thing, the, the fellowship that happens around the tables is so important. There's so many memorable experiences, whether it is an experience of grace that happens with a group of people, whether it's the incredible location or whether it's the food. Perhaps your spring break is marked by one of those moments, around a table, having a meal because of that location or because of the people uh, that were there or because of the uniqueness or specialness of the food. 
Well, as we continue a series that we started in the middle of last quarter, you can take that down now, Isaac. We're going to, again, come around the table. We're going to look at what makes these types of moments special. And as some of you uh, may remember from last quarter, as Bailey and Janie and I shared, and as you'll hear Daniel share next week in concluding our series, I think one of the great things that has emerged as we've looked at these I am statements is, is this theme of God's incredible initiation and God's invitation to us. And it, it kind of counteracts this instinct that many of us often have to somehow go and try harder to earn God's grace instead of understanding that it is actually God that initiates that relationship and God that invites us to it. And so tonight we want to continue by looking at these I am statements made throughout the Gospel of John, that is the fourth book of the New Testament, by looking at this statement when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Okay, now in the passage that we're going to come to tonight, a giant crowd, one that was described as like a, like a group of sheep without a shepherd, they have been fed and are about 5,000 of them, and are coming to Jesus looking for something, something that is again fulfilling, something satisfying. And in this crowd, you need to understand this, that there, there are people with very mixed and confused motives. In fact, I imagine that most of them don't have a pure motive that's driving them. But of course, they're seeking something. They're seeking something nonetheless. Now, what I'm talking about here are people described in the Bible, but there is something that makes me believe it describes us as well. So it is after this moment where 5,000 have eaten and had their fill that Jesus speaks to them. Now, we're going to look at, at what he says and, and pay attention. I know that sometimes in these long dialogues, it can be, uh, you can kind of get lost when Jesus is speaking and when the crowd is speaking. So uh, notice that as we come to this tonight. Okay, we're going to start in John chapter 6, verse 26. It says this, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked the crowd, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So then they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, here it comes. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. For those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread came down from heaven. Okay, we're gonna stop there. Okay, the, whole, the, the rest of chapter six is a continuation of this bread serve, sermon, and I would commend it to you. Go ahead and, and, and read it sometime later this week. But a couple of highlights from this passage that I wanna, I wanna riff on here for in the next couple minutes. Okay, first is this, verse 29. The work of God is, is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Isn't it interesting that Jesus responds to this question about what do I need to do to do the work of God is, is he simply says to believe. Now, it's the first week of class in, uh, in, in spring quarter, and many of you over the past two days have gone into your classes essentially asking a question very similar to this, right? What must I do to get an A as you get your syllabus? Okay, you're, you're starting to kind of plan things out. And if you're anything like me, especially spring quarter, you're looking for how can I kind of do the minimum? Where might I skip a day of class and go see a baseball game? Or where might I ditch out and go catch a, a round of golf someplace? And I, I just want to warn you to that end that that's kind of exactly how I treated some, some spring quarter classes. And old habits die hard because... I'm going to take a day off next Monday to go to a baseball game, and I'm going to take a little time off this quarter to go play a couple of rounds of golf. So just be aware, those habits that you're forming now, ooh, they don't go away quick. <laughs> now, imagine receiving a syllabus that just says, all you need to do in this class is believe. It's not about what you study. It's not about what you turn in. It's not about how you perform Simply believe. All right, let's review verse 33 as well. For the bread of life is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Several times in the passage I just read, we saw this, this, little, this little clause here comes down. Now, this is a really important phrase. And, and I want to, I wanna, to uh, as you read scripture, I encourage you to notice what is the, what are the directions that are present in scripture? When we see this, this directional word come, where is it coming from? Okay. In this passage, we see come to relative to what, to, to people, but relative to God, it keeps saying come down. It is Jesus who comes down. And the implication is it, is, it is God in Jesus coming down to meet us, to meet people where they are. 
Now, again, this seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? There's a lot of different ways to think about this. But one of the images as I sat with this that keep, that keep kept coming up for me was this image of hiking. We love hiking, don't we? Especially around here. There is something exhilarating about, about planning out a hike and then going perhaps with a group of friends and, and putting in some effort. And as you, as you seek to get higher, you seek to, to find that, that next view. You, you, there, there's that, that sense of accomplishment that comes with it. And it just seems to me that we have an incredible amount of energy to somehow try and get ourselves higher. And it plays out in this marvelous way in this opportunity that we might have to go enjoy some of the mountains in this area of the world that we live in. Okay, now as great and as awesome as that is, as motivated as we might be to somehow get ourselves higher, this is a theologically very important point that what John wants you to know, the person writing this gospel is saying, know that it's not about how high on the mountain you can hike, but know that it is Jesus who comes down to meet you. Very important uh, aspect of God's character for us to remember. Okay. Then we get to our big verse. I am the bread of life. And I have come down from heaven to give life to the world. Now, what does it mean other than a catchy soundbite that Jesus has come down and, and then says, I am the bread of life? Let me share, it, it, I, I want us to get beyond thinking of bread as merely food because I think that's in part what Jesus is trying to do here. It isn't just about this miracle of 5,000 being fed. It isn't just about how Moses fed the forefathers in the desert with this, this bread from heaven called manna. It's about more than food. I want us to understand bread as, as yes, in some ways, literal, as in the story that preceded it, but also symbolic for the resources of God that are given to his people to rescue and sustain them. Okay, this is, this is very important. Let me, let me see if I can help you understand what I'm, what I'm getting at here by helping you understand this idea of bread as the resource of God. Jesus saying, I am God's resource to rescue and sustain you. That's what it means to be the bread of life reading a book called The God-Shaped Brain, and there's this incredible story in there of uh, a woman named Samantha who had uh, gone to uh, um, the, the military academy and then trained in special forces. And on their graduation day, instead of walking down an aisle to pomp and circumstance with, with cap and gown, like many of you did, uh, who are freshmen, did last spring, and many of you are, who are seniors will probably do here in just a couple of months, congratulations. These graduates, instead of doing that, jump out of a C-130 transport. Okay, well, Samantha jumps out, out of, of the C-130, you know, as, of course, part of her training. She's done hundreds of jumps, throws that first parachute, and it doesn't open. As she was trained, she cuts off that, that parachute. Uh, and keep in mind, there's a crowd down there watching, including her parents, okay, Okay, goes to the, the reserve, throws that parachute, and much to the horror of the crowd, it doesn't open. And before Samantha hits the ground and again does as she has been trained, 
you know, hits the ground, crumples and rolls. The full resources of the government that had taught her how to safely pack a parachute and, and deploy it and cut it off and jump out of a plane. Okay, the full resources of that government that had taught her how to do that and it went wrong were already in action. Ambulances, medics, doctors, nurses, therapists were on their way to meet her at the point of impact. And when they got there, I'll tell you what they didn't do. What they didn't do was say, if you just would have done it right, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have just done it the way we taught you how to do it, we wouldn't even be in this mess. No, instead, it was the resources from that same government that that tried to coach her said, we are there to rescue you, to do everything we can to bring you life. When we talk about Jesus as the bread of life, we are talking about the one who on the one hand coaches us in abundant life. Love God, love your neighbor. And when something goes wrong, yet is still there, not getting angry at you. Yes, angry perhaps at the fact that the parachute didn't open, but still deploying the full resources to say, we got you. We're gonna rescue you, we're gonna save you, and we're gonna sustain you. I am the bread of life. You see, I think what this passage ultimately coaches us in is knowing what the will of God is, and that is that we would believe that in Jesus, in Jesus, God has deployed his full resources to give life to the world. He's given everything he's got to give life to the world in his son. So what? What do we do with this? What does it mean to believe? And I just, I'm gonna give you two things tonight. One kind of practical, and then I wanna share a story as we come to the communion table. The first is this. In my own prayer life, I'm so aware that often I will find myself praying and it'll be an earnest prayer and I'll keep talking and talking and talking and I'll say amen. And really at the moment I say amen, I immediately go about constructing my own answer to that which I just prayed. Anybody else have that experience? Practically, I'm buying into a theology that says God helps those who help themselves. And push comes to shove, I don't believe that. But that's often what I do. Mother Teresa has a great line about prayer and, and, you know, where she says prayer, you know, uh, she was talking to an interviewer and the interviewer was saying, hey, you're known as a woman of prayer. What do you pray? And she's like, well, when I pray, I don't, you know, I don't talk, I listen. And the interviewer says, well, in that case, what do you hear God saying? He says, well, God doesn't say anything. He listens. Okay, figure that one out. <laughs> Bottom line is, is this. In your prayer life, in whatever it is you're praying for, A, I wanna encourage you to both speak and listen, but that ultimately that there would be this experience of simply making room, of stopping and believing and maybe even imagining what the full resource of God to rescue you might be in that moment. And to resist going about constructing our own answers to prayers. No doubt Sam would have preferred to not hit the ground, but when she did, by the way, her life was saved. It was a good thing that 
those resources showed up the way they did. And that's often what happens in our prayer life, right? Give, make space for God to work. And the second is this. The bread of life is one that is among us that invites us into relationship, moves us beyond merely food and into relationship and, and into a relationship that is filled with grace. Now, to illustrate, I want to share with you a story that it, perhaps that may be familiar to many of you. Um, and it's, um, it's a story called Babette's Feast. Uh, I know it's been turned into a movie, uh, and, and it's a great story. It's a great story about a woman who was an amazing cook in France. Um, she was, in, she, she was uh, a chef and one of the, a, a female chef in a time when there were no female chefs. This would have been in the mid-19th century, but then is exiled to a remote uh, coastal community in Denmark. Poor, battered, um, totally beat down. She arrives in this, in this small community on a night that is described as too rainy for anyone to go out. She knocks on the door of, of the house of these two women who were part of the founding of a very rigid, a very conservative, pious community. And Babette knocks on their door and 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 basically asked to be let in. And she says, the only thing I can give you is to cook for you. And a little bit bewildered, these women uh, invite her in. And sure enough, Babette cooks. But this community being rigid, they didn't believe in giving gifts. They, they didn't believe in abundance. They believed that, that life in their religious beliefs, even rooted in Christian beliefs, was life was simply something meant to be tolerated. It wasn't something meant for abundance. And so they would have, their food was simply bread that was boiled, mixed with gruel, and then sprinkled with a little bit of ale. <laughs> At least there was a little bit of ale, right? Well, Babette sticks around for 12 years cooking things that she would have found just disgusting. But these women gave her a place to stay and she faithfully stayed there for 12 years, never asking for a thing until one day there, a letter arrives at her door. The first letter in 12 years that it had ever reached Denmark uh, for this woman. And as she reads it, there's some incredible news that a friend of hers would, uh, would renew her numbers for the lottery every year, and sure enough, Babette won, and in, the le- in, in this envelope are her winnings. Well, these two women who had grown fond, these two conservative women that had housed her who had grown fond of Babette were convinced that they were going to lose her. Well, there goes Babette. There goes our cook of 12 years. But coming up in just a few weeks was the celebration of the founding of this community, a 100-year celebration. And Babette approaches her two women and says, I would like to cook a real French meal, something really special for this, the celebration of this community. There were only 11 of them left. Well, because these women were a little bit reluctant for having you know, such pleasures introduced into their very rigid community, 
they reluctantly agree. And for the next two weeks, the villagers saw all sorts of crazy ingredients being delivered to the door. They saw champagne that they'd never seen. They saw delicacies that, that many of them had never even heard of, much less seen. As Babette slaved away in the kitchen for two straight weeks. And sure enough, the day comes and this meal is unlike anything that they had ever had before. And you have to understand that in this community, there were relationships that were fractured. There were uh, dissensions in the community, people who hadn't spoken in years. And they all get invited to this table after Babette had slaved away in the kitchen for two weeks. And they have an experience unlike any they have ever had. Well, as the community comes back together, they laugh, they're reconciled, and the sisters go in and give Babette a modest thank you. For they were scared of appreciating what she had done too much for fear that their appreciation of, of pleasure would get them banished to hell. And they were convinced that Babette would then leave. When then Babette says, I took every bit of those lottery winnings and spent it on this meal. 10,000 francs. And spent it on this meal that costs everybody else nothing. You see, Babette had taken every resource that she had, everything that she had, for people that she had never asked anything of and said, come, receive, enjoy, laugh. Take part in the abundance of life. Jesus is the bread of life and invites us to the table of grace. And he invites us to the table of grace when I'm convinced that we are settling for crumbs. We're taking gruel when God's offering us grace. We're taking crumbs when God's offering us a feast. This happens when we stop at thinking that what we have and what we want is enough, that our way is the right way. Know that Jesus invites you to this table of abundance and it costs you nothing and it costs him everything. And all we have to do is receive. And so at this table, we practice that receiving. This is a table where we are reminded that God has deployed his full set of resources in his son, Jesus Christ, the bread of life to rescue, sustain you and give you life to the full and not because of anything that you do, but because of what God does. For it was even with a group of friends, one who would betray him that he invited people to the table and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given and broken for you. 
Take and eat and do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant said, you don't have to do anything. It's not about what you do. It's first and foremost about what I have done and will do for you. Take and drink. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's life and death until he comes again. I want to invite you tonight to come and simply receive. Receive the abundance of the bread of life. The one who has promised to sustain and rescue you. Perhaps you've never done that before. The invitation is for you tonight to simply believe that you are valuable enough that God would deploy God's full arsenal of resources in his son, Jesus, to say, you matter. You matter. You're not an afterthought. You are invited to this table tonight to receive. Let me pray as we prepare to come to this table. God, thank you for your grace, that you are the bread of life that invites us to come and partake in your abundance, that it costs us nothing even when it costs you everything. Help us to know the reality of of your presence with us as we take in these common elements of bread and juice. May we know you more. Amen.